Hi, this is episode 25 of K. Ray Reads to You. Today we have part one of chapter eight of Absolute Zero by Helen Cresswell. Chapter eight. Some measure of the dimensions of the Bagthorpe's latest disaster can be deduced from the fact that the very elements, it seemed, came out in sympathy. It was like something out of Shakespeare. The witches on the blasted heath, the storm on the eve of Caesar's death, the tempest in The Tempest, all reflected the turmoil going on in human lives. And, to the benighted Bagthorpes, the gale that blew up out of nowhere around tea-time seemed like a direct expression of their own agony. The Bagthorpes knew it was tea-time only by the clock. There was no question of anybody actually having any tea. The devastation was hideous. Even as Mrs. Bagthorpe summoned her resources and tried to think what Stella Bright would do under similar circumstances, the, the sky began to darken, and the first eddies of the gale rattled the windows. "'Go and look at all the beds,' Mrs. Bagthorpe eventually told Tess, "'and see how many of them are wet. That is first priority, I think. The rest of us will all remove our footwear, because being barefoot will not be nearly so dangerous as having damp shoes or socks.' The rest, numbly and obediently, took off their footwear, with the exception of Mr. Bagthorpe, who made a point of ignoring any sensible suggestions his wife might make. "'It'll be quicker to tell you whose beds are dry,' said Tess, returning. "'Grandma and Grandpa's, and Jack's. Everybody else's is wet.' Mrs. Bagthorpe had a sudden inspiration. It was Mrs. Fosdyke's half-day, but she was well known to love calamities that happened to other people." This was one of her truly human traits. "'Jack,' said his mother, "'take your bicycle and go and ask Mrs. Fosdyke "'whether she could kindly come and help us.' "'You stop where you are,' Mr. Bagthorpe told him. "'We've troubles enough already.' "'Don't be silly, dear,' his wife said. "'Mrs. Fosdyke's help will be invaluable.' "'Why not invite a whole team of harpies while you're at it?' "'inquired Mr. Bagthorpe. "'What about that pair that sit either side of her in the fiddler's arms? "'They'd enjoy it.' "'What a sensible idea!' exclaimed Mrs. Bagthorpe. "'Jack, please ask Mrs. Fosdyke whether Mrs. Bates and Mrs. Pye could come along, too. "'Really, we can't have too many helpers.' <clears throat> "'Who we really want is Hercules,' said Mr. Bagthorpe. "'He's the one person I can think of who's had any kind of training for this kind of job. "'Why can't we be an ordinary happy family like everybody else? "'All I want is to be happy. "'Tomorrow I may go and see Aunt Lucy in Torquay.' His wife pursed her lips. He was waiting, she knew, for her to point out that he detested visiting Aunt Lucy in Torquay. He did so because she had few surviving relations and was rich. This would then give him the cue to say that he did indeed detest doing this, and did so only when driven. Mrs. Bagthorpe usually fed her husband with cues fairly readily, but at the present moment was in no mood for it. "'Hurry up, Jack,' she contented herself with saying. "'and tell Mrs. Fosdyke that if she is able to come, "'Mr. Bagthorpe will come in his car and collect her, "'and her friends as well, of course.' "'Why will I?' he demanded. "'She moves fast enough.' "'Because it is the polite thing to do,' she replied firmly, "'especially as she will be doing us a favor, "'and it is such a stormy night.' "'It was then that Jack remembered Zero. "'I can't,' he cried. "'I've got to go and look for Zero. "'I don't suppose he's drowned,' said Mr. Bagthorpe. "'That would be hoping for too much.' "'He's not here. He's out.' 
"'If you are going on your bicycle, Zero won't be going with you,' said Mrs. Bagthorpe. "'It's dark now, and it would be most dangerous. Do hurry, dear.' Jack did not care how much he went down in the estimation of the family. All he could think of was Zero, lying in the darkened wood, the wind and rain buffeting about him, and his eyes fixed dolefully ahead for a sign of rescue. "'You don't understand,' he said desperately. "'Zero's lost. I left him up in that wood the other side of the knoll.' "'Jack, do hurry,' repeated Mrs. Bagthorpe, urgently wringing out her cloth. Jack looked helplessly about him. Everyone was either wringing out a cloth, or wielding a ladle or saucepan. Concern for Zero was at an all-time low. He could see that. He rushed out. The wind was so strong that he could hardly steer a straight course. The rain lashed against his face, and he had a picture of Zero, sodden now, his fur flattened, still lying there, waiting.' Mrs. Fosdyke was just sitting down to a cup of tea when Jack hammered on the door. "'What's all the banging for, then?' she demanded. "'I'm not deaf, you know. You better come on in. Look at you. Drenched to the skin. Does your ma know you're out?' "'She sent me.' Jack explained about the flood, but felt that words could not really do justice to the awfulness of it. "'Everything's sopping,' he ended. "'Absolutely sopping.' Mrs. Fosdyke had sat, sipping her tea as he said his piece. Now she set her cup down. "'There's plenty,' she observed, "'that'd give their notice over this.' "'Oh, there are,' Jack agreed, "'and I wouldn't blame them.' "'I don't suppose it's worth asking "'if that child has had her backside tanned,' she continued. "'Will you come?' Jack was impatient to be gone. "'And will the others?' "'I can't speak for them, of course.' "'replied Mrs. Fosdyke with maddening prevarication. "'They might, or they might not. "'Mrs. Fosdyke knew full well that unless they were prevented by an act of God, "'they would not only come, but do so with alacrity. "'They were <clears throat> they were inveterate inspectors of the interior of other people's houses. "'By now they had seen the inside of most houses in the village by various means, "'from the legitimate, attending a coffee morning, perhaps, "'to more devious methods, like, "'delivering unnecessary messages or selling raffle tickets. "'The Bagthorpe residence had, however, proved an impossible nut to crack. "'Mr. Bagthorpe had told his wife that any coffee morning would be held over his dead body. "'If anyone came round collecting money for any cause whatsoever, "'he would either slam the door in their faces or start shouting, "'and go on shouting after the luckless collector right down the drive. "'Mrs. Bates and Mrs. Pye had, of course,' often plied Mrs. Fosdyke with questions in the fiddler's arms. By now they had a fair idea of the geography of the place, and knew that the television set was hired, and that the best dinner service was Royal Worcester, and that there was a chair in the hall that had been sat in by William the Conqueror. This last being a drastic piece of misreporting by Mrs. Fosdyke, who did not always follow Mr. Bagthorpe when he was being sarcastic. "'I don't know if I want them to come for that matter.' "'said Mrs. Fosdyke now. "'Why on earth not?' "'Jack felt he must have understated the case badly. "'Honestly, the whole house is sopping. "'It'll take half the night to clear it up.' "'Because,' replied Mrs. Fosdyke, "'nonetheless rising and donning her coat, "'I have my pride.' "'Jack was mystified by this declaration, "'but relieved to see that Mrs. Fosdyke "'evidently was going to ask them.' 
Mrs. Fosdyke was indeed torn between soliciting the help of her two cronies and dissuading them from giving it. She had secretly cherished the hope that one day they would see the interior of the Bagthorpe residence, but on a day when she had everything polished to the last degree of brilliance, the silver set out on the sideboard and artistic flower arrangements trailing everywhere. From what Jack had said, it was clear that the look of the place, far from being at its best, was probably at an all-time worst. On the other hand, she often described to Mrs. Pye and Mrs. Bates how she suffered in the service of the Bagthorpes. Sometimes she had the feeling that they did not quite believe her, that they had no real grasp of the kind of people the Bagthorpes were. She felt quite powerless to put it adequately into words. The nearest she had come was once, after the recent tin-opening ceremonies. Sometimes, she had told them over her third Guinness, it comes over me that when I get up that drive, I've left the whole world behind me, and when they all got hooting over that asparagus I'd meant for a trifle, I could have took to my heels forever. It was like one of them mad Dracula films on Friday telly. Now, then, was clearly the moment when her friends should witness the Bagthorpe life as actually lived, even if not the optimum time from the aesthetic angle. I'll ask em, she said whipping her chiffon headscarf into a tight knot. But I can't promise. You wait here. Three minutes later she was back, her face glistening wet and unnaturally excited-looking. They'll come, she announced, and a storm you've never seen the like of thunder and lightning and the Lord knows. I heard it, Jack said. I saw it. I'll go to the phone box and let Father know. He'll pick you up in the car. And that's the end of part one of chapter eight of Absolute Zero. See you next time.